0: Home stretch. That's right, we are in the home stretch. Welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to Romans chapter 16, the final chapter in the book of Romans. Now, the closing matter of the book of Romans really starts in earnest. In chapter 15, around verse 22, where St. Paul begins discussing his plans, he wants to visit the Roman congregation on his way to Spain because he's a missionary. He is a missionary apostle to the Gentiles and he wants to go where, well, the church hasn't really touched yet. And so he wants to go to Spain. But in the meantime, he does want to say hi to some people. And like last week, you're going to have a hard time justifying, like, okay, why is this Bible? I'm going to say it's important. Just like last week, every single verse in Holy Scripture is important. Are some verses more important than others? Yes, absolutely. But these are important not just for the value they have in and of themselves as Holy Scripture, but also because people get goofy with these. We'll get into that. Let's go ahead and read this, starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancri, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephina and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So why is St. Paul waving and saying hello to a bunch of people in Rome important? Well, first off, we see in the first verse that it's not quite a hello. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancri, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Some translations will say deaconess, Phoebe, a deaconess of the church at Shankrai. I disagree with that. The idea behind deacons is for them to be men chosen as, well, minor ministers, assisting ministers to the actual ordained ministers, the apostles and pastors, those charged with word and sacrament. Deacons run charity. They can run church services. Uh, They are not necessarily charged with a service of the word. They're not really there to be preaching and teaching. However, they can run Bible studies, and more importantly, they wait on tables. I believe wholeheartedly that deacons can consecrate the elements at communion and they can baptize. The church can select a deacon apart from the pastor to do this. Hence, St. Paul, in his qualifications for deacons, well, specifies that they're men. From 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the eighth verse, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons are men. But Phoebe is still a servant. She is still helping people. So yes, women are barred from the pastoral office, the teaching office, and the diaconate. However, that does not mean they are worthless, that does not mean that they are of no use whatsoever to the body of Christ. We see that here with Phoebe, and check that out here in the second verse. Help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. In the early, early church, New Testament church, a lot of women out there with successful businesses, they were crucial in funding the ministry, selling wares, making stuff, providing for the needs of the saints, they were essential, and the church would not likely have thrived without these women. Why? Because they understood the ontological differences between male and female, the immutable and unchanging characteristics that distinguish a man from a woman that cannot change. You're born as one or the other, and that means that you are, for your life, going to thrive in your nature, according to your nature. So Phoebe, understanding that she is a woman, she is a godly Christian woman, she sees, okay, I can't be a pastor, I'm not allowed to teach. Yes, I understand, that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, as St. Paul says, And I can't be a deacon because those are the under-shepherds to the under-shepherds to Christ. So they have a lot of the same pastoral qualifications. All right, but I am a woman, and in accordance with my nature, I am there to support. I am there to nurture. Just as a child cannot make it nearly as well in life without a nurturing, wonderful mother. So, too, would the church have never made it without these women nurturing, caring for, and supporting the early church in all of her missions. Phoebe understands this. So, if anybody comes at you with Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and says, Aha, this is why we have a deaconess program, you can tell them that's actually contrary to God's design, and that hurts the church. Because women are going to be essential for the support, the nurturing and the expansion of the church, especially as far as helping other women is concerned, you're taking that away from them. You're taking glory away from women when you tell them go be a deaconess or go be a pastrix. But we continue. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So we understand that Prisca and Aquila are familiar figures. They do show up in Acts chapter 18 and verses 2 and 3, where it says, And he, Paul, found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. When he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And we see them later in Acts chapter 18, starting in the 24th verse. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So we see Priscilla and Aquila here assisting St. Paul as tent makers, so, okay, women can work, yes, they can. That's just a part of life, especially in the first century AD, where sometimes work took two to make ends meet. Do we prefer homemakers? Yeah, St. Paul talks about that in First Timothy. However, if times are tough, and if you need something to survive, a woman is a great helpmeet for a man to help him get this stuff done. We also see the same dynamic. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Note that it is not Priscilla alone doing this. She is with her husband, who is permitted and charged with teaching authority in the church. Are you noticing a theme? This chapter is often used by modernist, liberal Christians to try to justify ordaining women. That's not the case. Remember, we learn our doctrine from the parts of Scripture that teach us doctrine. If you want to learn about baptism and what baptism is, go to the verses and passages that talk about baptism and say what baptism does and what baptism is. You don't go to an example like the thief on the cross to get doctrine. Do you want to learn about God's sovereignty over the universe? Go to the biblical passages, especially the Psalms, which talk about God's sovereignty. You don't go to passages where there isn't much information about, say, election, and then reason yourself into doctrines concerning God's sovereignty. We need to let the Bible speak for itself on the topics for which it teaches us. The same thing goes for things like ordination and pastors and who can serve in what roles in the church. St. Paul tells us all that in 1 Timothy. Uh, He goes over stuff like that in Titus. The pastoral letters are where we understand that doctrine. But the more liberal side of Christianity wants to do what is called descriptive theology. They look at a description of what happened or who did what and they get theology from it. But that's not what the Bible teaches you. You want to go off of prescription. Prescription is when the Bible tells you, this is the case, this is what you ought to do, this is what you must learn for faith and life in the Christian church. Description is, some people did stuff. And even if it goes against what was prescribed, it does not permit you to do as those people did. For instance, if you say that uh, Romans 16 justifies female ordination, then David sleeping with Bathsheba justifies adultery. Heck, Solomon collecting 700 women and 300 concubines justifies polygamy and concubinage. Is that what we want to say? Because, oh, here is Solomon doing it, Therefore, we can do it. And yeah, the Bible says it was wrong, uh, but we can still do it because we see King Solomon doing it. That's the same logic when it comes to Romans 16 and people saying, aha, Junia was an apostle. Even if she was, which she was not, you're telling me that I can violate and the church can violate what St. Paul wrote as prescription in 1 Timothy chapter 2, because some people violated it, and you see that in Romans 16? If that's what we're saying, then we are obliterating all morality and all commands of God. Because even if the Bible tells you to do or not to do something, you can go, "Um, actually, I saw somebody that's a pretty good guy in the Bible doing something that's against this commandment, so it's fine. We're not doing that. That's not what the Bible teaches you. So, no, Phoebe was not a deaconess, and no, Priscilla, or Prisca, was not a Pastrix. To say that they were is to contradict the witness of Holy Scripture for an agenda that does the opposite of what you think it does. You think that you're honoring women, you think that you're elevating women, but instead you are teaching them to act contrary to the ways that God says are blessed and wonderful in accordance with who women are. But I digress. We continue on here. Greet also the church in their house. Wow. For the VLP, that's a pretty important verse because there were house churches in the first century AD. That's a good thing. Is that me engaging in descriptive theology? No, I just like to see that there were house churches in the first century AD. We can relate to that, right? Anyway, greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Is this uh, the mother of our Lord? We, We don't know. There's about six different Marys, according to some scholars in the New Testament. And there's two Marys if you go off of Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of our Lord. But it would be cool if Mary, the mother of our Lord Christ, was in Rome for some reason, (laughs) ministering to the needs of the saints. Continuing on in verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So, continuing on with this theme about the lives of women in the church, there are individuals who look at verse 7 and see, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Done! Female apostles! That's it. We have to do everything that the Episcopalians tell us to do. No. First off, Junia, sometimes translated Junios, Both of those are male or female names. It is a name that can belong to a man. It is a name that can belong to a woman. This tells me nothing about the identity of Junia or Junias, whichever one. Second, they are kinsmen and his fellow prisoners. These two also went to jail with St. Paul, and they are kin. They're basically family to him, meaning that they are fellow Hebrews. And they are well known to the apostles. That is probably a commendation that St. John, St. Peter, St. James, and all the other apostles that were still alive at the time knew these two and also commended them. That does not mean that there are female apostles. There is no witness of female apostles in the records of the early church, going all the way to the end of the early church with Tertullian, you just don't have that. Taking one verse, maybe three if you look at this 16th chapter in toto, and going full left-wing Methodist on the world is not justified. You cannot take a single verse in isolation and build all of church praxis on it, and nor can you take a single verse and delete how things have been done for 2,000 years. The witness of the church, the understanding of the early church, and the actual words concerning the ordination of men to the pastoral and diaconate office in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, the pastoral letters, you cannot undo Bible with a single verse. To the contrary, we should rejoice that Andronicus and Junia both went to prison with St. Paul. We should rejoice that he valued them not only as a part of his church, but also as his kinsmen. We should rejoice that the scripture does not tell you to delete all of your identity when you become a Christian. Have you noticed that St. Paul never, ever demands that you stop Being a Gentile, he never ever tells you that you have to stop being a male or a female. To the contrary, verses like Galatians 3.28 affirm your identity against the Judaizers who wanted you to give it up. You do not have to change everything about how you were born or pretend that that is not the case just because you are a Christian. Or in order to be a Christian, as the Judaizer heretics claimed, that all these people had to suddenly become Jewish. No, to the contrary, St. Paul loves his kin and he says they are saved. He greets Gentiles here and he says, yes, these are the saints in Christ, and he never lays a demand on them. And that has comport for today's church. Have you noticed that Jesus never said, as I establish my church here on earth, St. Peter, you're going to be the rock. And by the way, I'm also inviting a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer to make sure that the church looks correctly hat tip to Matthew Cochran, great blog, he notes that Jesus Christ never condemned the Pharisees for their lack of female representation. He never condemns churches like Rome because they don't look like the Burger King Kids Club. Instead, he greets everybody. And he is friendly with all of these people in the church. He never condemns them along gender or racial lines, except to tell Jewish Christians, you are not special just because you are Jews. To the contrary, Christ has died for all, and he accepts Jews and Gentiles, people of any race and gender, to be saved. It is a soteriological thing. And there is a little bit of practical consequence for that that we will get into but we get other greetings first greet Ampliatus my beloved in the Lord greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachus, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus greet my kinsman Herodion Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Trophosa, Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Note, by the way, the name Hermas. This probably isn't important to you in your day-to-day life, but in the very early church, this was very important because there was an extra-biblical document. It is called the Shepherd of Hermas that some people in the early church treated like it was Bible. But the Shepherd of Hermas is a Montanist document that came later. Hermas, the individual that St. Paul is greeting here, probably not the same Hermas from The Shepherd of Hermas with his wild visions of a tower that is the church, that is a woman that is the church, and here's, by the way, all this stuff that you have to do more or less to be saved. The Shepherd of Hermas is a really weird book and it doesn't belong to the canon of scripture. I praise God that the church never saw it as scripture after about the third century AD. So people will say though, oh, Hermas is a real man, and clearly he truly wrote The Shepherd of Hermas. Well, if he did, then Hermas went off the rails and started writing really weird stuff that was not included in the canon. But I digress. The consequence of understanding that All Christians, no matter what their race, no matter what their sex, are in Christ is what St. Paul says here in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now that is an instruction. Do you have to kiss people in church? No. That was a greeting, a sign of affection in the first century AD. The idea is When you're with believers, no matter who they are, you should feel good about being with believers. It doesn't matter what they look like or what their sex is. Yes, everybody has these real-world distinctions. St. Paul loves his kin, and as we see in the 16th chapter, he keeps talking about, Oh, this person's my kinsman. Oh, that guy? Those two? They're my kinsmen. Yep, they're my kinsmen and I love them. That's perfectly fine. That can persist. You can love your kin as your kin. But you still should be comfortable and friendly with Christians of other races and sexes. It's a good thing when you're around them and there is peace. I would hope that there is no conflict along racial lines in the church. That would be stupid. It is a call to unity when he says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. You should not hate on another Christian because they are born under different circumstances and with a different physical nature to your own. To the contrary, rejoice that they are a saint of God Most High, if indeed they are a baptized believer in Christ Jesus. Does that mean you can't have a partiality for your kin in some senses? No, and that's not the sin of partiality that St. James is condemning. To the contrary, loving your own kin is perfectly fine. Supporting your own kin, perfectly fine. But we do have to be told to still love the believers and Christians who are of different circumstances and natures than our own. We can tell them, you are also made in the image of God, and I love you too. Uh, We have our own things here that we got to pursue in this material world, but let's get along and be friendly with one another in church. All right, guys, I think we are going to be capping off the entirety of the Roman series, probably in the next two recordings. I am excited for that. Hope you are too. But until then, I'll catch y'all next week. Amen and amen.